Well, good morning. It is uh, kind of hard to reflect, but also exciting to reflect that I am now entering into my 18th year of pastoring at this church. And as I look back and reflect on that, I remember when Parker first came, he was just kind of a wee little babe of about six months old. And we are about a year away from him heading off to whatever it is that he's going to be doing as he enters his senior year in high school. Part of what we all think about and what we look at is the aspect of moving forward in life so that those who are dependent upon us can become self-sufficient. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but where it becomes a problem is when we begin to think that we must entirely rely upon ourselves for all of our existence. We talk and we speak essentially of that term, the self-made man. We think about the fact that all that we do is really ours, and oftentimes in our culture and in our society, we think completely about Self. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at an attribute of God, and when we discover who God is and truly what He is about, it's going to begin to make us question our self-sufficiency. So the question that I pose to us this morning is simply this. It's good to be self-sufficient, right? Let's think through that for a minute. Now, I'm talking, and I'm, what I'm saying here is, is, yes, we're excited about Parker moving forward and discovering whatever it is that he's going to be doing. We're excited about him going out and discovering his own life, making a life for himself, and Lord willing, knowing God, and moving forward in all of those things. But we tend to idolize self-sufficiency, don't we? We tend to look and think that it's all about us, about who we are and what we do. And the fact of the matter is, the next point that I want to make is this, that we pride ourselves in our ability to be self-sufficient. We, we think about us and who we are and what we do. And one of the things that I want to show you is this. Look at the world today. Look at what is out there, all of these promotions about being wealthier, doing this, doing that. Look at the health industry, just the sheer exercise industry. There are billions of dollars, which is good, I'm not saying it's bad, but being spent on being what? Healthy. And so we have all of these individuals out there that are healthy on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. They're taking care of self. They're taking care of them. They're taking care of their physical, but they're denying their one fundamental need which is care of the soul. I want to ask you an honest question right now. Where are you with your soul and how well are you taking care of it? Are you taking care of self, physical, temporal, and denying soul? Friends, our world right now is one where we see so many people walking around looking great on the outside, but lovingly what I'm telling you is they're dead or dying or dry on the inn because they're neglecting soul. You have to remember and recognize that we are soul. We are spirit. And God has created us that way. But yet our world wants to just think that we are our own. We are on our own. And we are wholly self-sufficient. 
We do pride ourselves in our ability to be self-sufficient. We talk about it. We think about it. We like the fact that we can do things on our own. And oftentimes in that, even in our faith, we tend to put a whole lot of ourselves and just a little bit of God. And what we do when we do that is, is we deny our deepest need, which is nourishment to our souls. John Ortberg, in his book, Soul Keeping, Caring for the more, Most Important Part of You, is quoting a conversation that he had with Dallas Willard. And this is what Dallas was telling John Ortberg when John was in a series of ministry and he had become essentially spiritually dry. He looked great on the outside. Everything was going well on the outside. His ministry was moving forward. He was becoming a published author. Things were going wonderful for him, but on the inside, he was dry and on the verge of death. And so he took some time and went to Dallas Willard, and Dallas was talking to him, and this was Dallas's words to John. And this is what he says. You are not just a self. You are a soul. The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I want to pause there for a minute. Doesn't that resonate back to what we spoke about last week, about God being our creator? Do you see how these attributes of God intertwine and are so important as we discover who he is? And my prayer is, as we do, it draws us into a deeper sense of worship. You are a soul made by God. Made for God. And made to need God which means that you are not made to be self-sufficient. Friends, one of the greatest lies out there right now, one of the greatest travesties that's happening in our world is this aspect of self-sufficiency. Now, please hear me. We're excited for Parker to move forward. I'm excited for all of my children to move forward and establish their lives, but not to the detriment of their need of God, their deepest soul need. And one of the things that we need to remember and focus on is the fact that we all have been created to have that need. No matter who we are, no matter how great our lives are, no matter how self-sufficient we become, there is a void within us that is empty apart from God. And friends, the reason of that is, is because we've been created in a manner to need him. The other thing that's interesting is look at our world. Our world is constantly looking for a machine, a mineral, or natural energy source that will perpetually exist. We're constantly looking for something that will continue to go on and on. We pride ourselves in our nuclear submarines, and they are a feat. We talk about the fact that their nuclear power can enable them to remain submerged for months on end. In fact, we discover and recognize that they could remain submerged for quite some time, and the only reason that they need to come up 
is not because they run out of nuclear power, it's because they run out of food. Look at our wind energy. Look at how we're desiring to become self-sufficient. No matter where you are on wind energy, what we discover is this, that at some point those turbines break down and they need to be repaired. We look at the idea of essentially discovering the fountain of youth. We try to keep ourselves youthful. And what we realize is, is that as much as we do, we cannot escape the fact that our clock is ticking away. But yet we continue to say we have to be self-sufficient. We have to be self-sustaining. We have to do things on our own to the detriment of our God. Friends, interesting enough, we're in a time right now where I believe our culture, our society is trying to push God away. But what I want to show you is that this was a concern 100 years ago, several hundred years ago. I want to quote Abraham Lincoln when he was speaking at the proclamation for the National Day of Fasting, Humiliation, and Prayer on April 30th, 1863. And this is what he said about our nation. He said, intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and persevering grace, too proud to pray to the God that has made us. Friends, it's a reminder of our deep need of God. It's a cry to our country to say, we need Him. And yet so often our world and our culture wants to say, no, we're self-sufficient. We can do this on our own. And all I want to say is, okay, how are we doing then? Friends, don't fall for the lie of self-sufficiency. Don't fall for the lie that you can do things on your own. Because we revert back to Dallas Willis' words to John Ortberg saying, Hey, you all have to remember that we are created in the image of God. And being created in the image of God, we have been created to need Him. And so what I want to do this morning is this. I want to ask just a simple question to all of you. How are you doing in recognizing your need of God, honestly, truthfully. Are we saying, okay, great, I need God when I come to church. I'll give God the time that he deserves, one hour on a Sunday. Are we willing to listen to the pastor and say, boy, that's a great message, but if he goes over the allotted time, we become angered or upset because we need to go do something different? Are we sitting and saying, sure, I'll give God something, but I'm not going to give him my all. I need some of him, but I don't certainly need all of him. I don't need all of him in my life. Or friends, have we come to a point where we've discovered that we are in desperate need of God every moment, every part of the day, every breath that we have, because he is the giver and sustainer of life. Not only here, but there as well. Friends, we pride ourselves in our ability to be self-sufficient, and we are constantly looking for a machine, a mineral, or natural energy source that will perpetually exist to the detriment of our spiritual health. 
And this morning we're going to discover that God is a God who is self-sufficient, or He is the God of infinite provision. And that's important for us to see because there are several aspects in this that we need to recognize and come to grips with. First and foremost, I've been hitting hard on the fact that we desperately need God. Everyone desperately needs God. And so here's one thing that I want to tell you is praise God for those of you that are here that have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have made him your Lord and Savior. That's a wonderful thing. But my strong word of encouragement to you and to myself is this. Just because we are saved, it does not mean that we no longer need God. We actually need him every single part of the day. And so my prayer for all of us is, is that as we awaken, as we look at our day, as we go forth, we start with the aspect of, God, I need you. God, I want you in this day. I want you to be part of what's going on. And one of the things that we remember is being wholly self-sufficient. God is the only one who can claim that attribute. Please hear me on this. God is the only entity that is wholly self-sufficient. Nothing else is. God is a self-contained source of perpetual and perfect substance. And the reason for that is God has eternally existed and is creator of all things. If we think through that and we recognize, as we learned last week in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Let's think on that for a minute. Oftentimes we open the Bible, and that's great, I'm glad that we do, but we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, blah, 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 blah creation account. Friends, stop. In the beginning. Subject. God. And pause and meditate on that for a minute. If there was a beginning, which there was, because it says in the beginning, something started. And then obviously we read the account of what started. But then don't just continue to read on, stop and pause. What is the subject? God. Subject of sentence is God, which pre-existed the statement of in the beginning. So if God pre-existed the statement of in the beginning, our beginning, all that we know, the heavens and the earth, our creation, the animals of the field, us created in his image, he was there before. And he created all. And if he was there before and he created all, friends, here's what I want to tell you. As much as I love God, as great as he is, because he's creator and sustainer of all things, and because he existed before us, please hear me. God loves us. God cares for us. But God doesn't need us. Because he eternally existed prior to us and was whole and complete and self-sufficient. I want to take a minute.
And I just want to talk through this. Jen Wilkins says essentially this about the idea and aspect of God being a self-contained source of perpetual and perfect substance, creating and sustaining all things. He is himself created and sustained by none. Just let that soak in for a minute. He has created and he sustains all things. He is himself created and sustained by none. God has no need. Because he is creator. For all eternity, he is perfectly provided for, in, and of himself. Needless of any aid, unflagging in strength never hungry or thirsty, experiencing no lack. Nothing and no one outside of himself offers aid to him. Think about that for a minute. Big problem comes. God is there. Something of the unexpected. God doesn't say, oops, this is beyond me. This one I can't handle. This one I haven't figured out. Who's going to come to our rescue? God never says that because God is creator and sustainer of all things. That is so important for us to see because there is nothing that God can not handle. Because he created everything, nothing he has created could possibly be needful to him for his existence. If it were, then like him, it would have always existed. And that's sort of the crux of this statement. If it were, it would have always existed. And we go back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God and us, God and the world, God and our intellect, God created said things. Our God is self-sufficient, needed by all. I love this, needed by all, needful of nothing. Why is that important, friends? Sometimes in our own aspect, in our own intellect, we kind of tend to think that God has need of us. Now, please hear me. There is and exists an important, intimate relationship that we have with God when we place our faith and trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But God has no need of us. God is complete in and of himself. We do not bring completeness to God. Because God is the creator and sustainer of all things. What does that do in our worship? How does that work? Well, one of the things that I think we need to see is this. As we look into his word, we're going to discover that needing nothing, th hear me on that, needing nothing, God is able to give everything to his creation. Do you see how important that is? Needing nothing, 
God is able to give everything to his creation. This is a feeble attempt to kind of show you that aspect. But think about the fact that if you're a parent, right, and you have children, and you've got a bunch of kids, and they're all coming to you at the same time, right? And you are having to work with them, but you're also having to utilize their aspect to fulfill your need. Can you give them all of your attention? Better yet, if you need something, right, and they need something, but you're like, well, hey, you know, I got to feed myself here, like, I haven't eaten, wait a minute, let me, let me get to you when I'm done, can you fulfill all of what they need? Now, it's a feeble attempt at this, but it begins to help you understand that concept, because God needs nothing, but because he needs nothing, he's able to give everything to creation. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will. We're going to take a look at a passage in Acts 17. And essentially, as we read, Paul is uh, essentially speaking to individuals who are sacrificing and thinking that by doing so that they're very religious and they're appeasing a God who might need something of them. So as we take a look at this and we find ourselves in verse 22 of chapter 17 in the book of Acts. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Let's just pause there for a minute. I just want to encourage us. Are we religious or are we relational? Because there's a big difference. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Friends, we've been given a God who has made himself known. We have received a God who has made himself known, not only through the scriptures, through the written word of God but through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the full revelation of God in the flesh, being fully man and fully God. We see the creation account in the beginning God. We see the creation account in the Gospel of John. The Word, and the Word was with God, recognizing the eternal existence of Christ our Savior, yet choosing to humble himself to come to this world and become a man, to die upon a cross so that we, needing God desperately, might have eternal life. So God is not unknown, yet Paul is addressing these individuals who are making worship to an unknown God. And he says, now what you worship is something unknown. I am going to proclaim to you speaking obviously of the relationship that he now has with the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The God who made the world, don't miss this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He's made it all. He's created all that you see. And he is not served by human hands. As if he needed anything. 
as if he needed anything. Because he himself, because he himself, not he and, not he or, not he but, he himself gives all men life and breath. Oh, and P.S. by the way, and everything else. Because God has no need, he is able to give everything to his creation. And that should draw us into a deep sense of awe and worship of our God. We look at that and we reflect on the fact and often we begin to see and what can happen in our pride is, well, wait a minute, God, you don't need me. I mean, I thought that you did. Where's my importance? What's it about? Wait a minute. You're telling me that you can be just fine without me? And God is saying, yes, I am wholly sufficient. I have no need of you. But I've chosen you to know me wholly and entirely. And I give you everything. I give you everything. And I have given you my everything. That's the deep, deep love of Jesus. I don't need you. But I give you everything. I give you my son. Holy, completely, and fully. My son willingly goes holy, completely, and fully to die on a cross because of your desperate need. And I do that giving wholly, completely, and fully. So that by doing so, your desperate need, which is me, meaning God, can be wholly, fully, and completely fulfilled. So that you may live by grace through faith in the God who has given you all yet needs nothing of you. That's God. Friends, we pride ourselves in our ability to be self-sufficient, and we are constantly looking for a machine, mineral, or natural energy that will perpetually exist. But what we discover is, is that only God himself is a self-contained source of perpetual and perfect sustenance. And needing nothing, God is able to give everything to his creation. That's exactly what's being stated in the book of Acts. And yet, here's what's interesting. Even though we begin to see that, even though we begin to learn that, this is the challenge of our own pride. Yet, we tend to want the blessings of God while still desiring to remain self-sufficient. 
we begin to think through and we say, well, wait a minute, God, yeah, I get it. I need him desperately. But God has to have a need of me. Or better yet, yeah, I need God, but I'll give him just a little bit of myself. I'll give a little bit of God, and then I'll do it on my own. And one of the things that I think is important is to recognize the danger of what occurs when we give a little bit to God and keep a whole lot for ourselves. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 50, we're going to look particularly at verses 7 through 17, and we're going to discover essentially the heart of self-serving worship. The heart of looking good on the outside, but not having a whole heart for God on the end. Not recognizing our desperate need of Him. And what's so important here to think about, friends, is because God is wholly self-sufficient, wholly, eternally self-sustaining, in need of nothing, God can give everything to His creation. And in that, what's interesting is God sees our heart and knows when what we're doing on the outside isn't matching what's going on on the end. We're going to take a look at Psalm 50, verse 7 through 17. Essentially, the psalmist is writing. It's a psalm of Asaph. He's talking about essentially the mighty God and worship of God. And we travel along to verse 7, and he says, Hear, O my people. And I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I'm not going to rebuke you for that. But I want to tell you, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine. He's essentially saying, hey, this is great. That's wonderful that you're giving this back to me, but I just want you to know it's mine anyway. So go ahead. But I don't need it because I own it. And the reason I own it, because I made it, because I created it. Do you see again how this moves back to God being the infinite creator, yet also that makes himself sufficient, holy, and eternally? For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the creatures of the field are mine. You know, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine, and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thanks offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. So sacrifice out of thanksgiving, but don't think that you're sacrificing because I have need. But then here's the kicker. Verse 16, but to the wicked, God says... What right do you have to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. Friends, there's a twofold aspect to this. One is those that are sacrificing out of a heart but thinking that God has need. 
God has no need. God is saying, thank you for being thankful of me. That's wonderful. But I have no need of your sacrifice. But the bigger one is this. Those of you are coming and sacrificing, but aren't willing to keep my laws, aren't willing to keep my word. You look good on the outside, but your heart has nothing of me on the inside. And what I want to tell you here is this. It's obvious that you don't look to my instruction and you cast my words behind you. How do we avoid this? How do we move forward on that? How do we not essentially come forward looking good on the outside, but on the inside not have a heart that is for God? The first thing that I'll tell you is, is that when we begin to recognize who God is as creator, sustainer of all things, the giver of life, in the beginning, God, and that God has no need of us, yet in having no need of us, chooses to give himself fully to us who have a desperate need of God so that we might have eternal life. Our hearts should break down in awe and reverence of our God and not of ourselves. That's worship. That's our true king. One of the things that I think is important when we have a little bit of God and a whole lot of ourselves is it begins to deteriorate our holistic living for Christ. And I think in Jen Wilkins' book, she does a great job. I want to read through this, and some of these might prick your heart. And I want to show you what can happen to our lives when we say, I'll take a little bit of God, but a whole lot of me. This is what she says. When we deny our need for God, self-sufficiency reveals itself in the following ways. Number one, prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. Now, I don't need to see a raise of hands. I don't need to have you, you know, do this or that or the other thing. But I just want to ask you, when's the last time that you prayed? Tr truly, you know, honestly, fully. When's the last time that you prayed deeply to God? Our self-reliance causes us to cease approaching God with petition, praise, confession, or thanksgiving. So lovingly, I'm just going to ask you, how is your prayer life? It can be conversations with God. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be these deep things. But as you go through your day, are you going to God and saying, Lord, hey, thanks for that. Father, hey, I need this. Father, forgive me for that. Lord, be with my children as they do this. Father, help me be a good father as I come home, tired from a long day of ministry. Lord, thank you for the joy of seeing my son come to me rushing and saying, Daddy, Daddy. Are, are we going to God and thanking him and praising him and praying to him on what I would call not a legalistic, ritualistic basis, but a regular basis as if we would converse with someone we love? Friends, for those of you that have friends or are married or there's somebody that you have a deep, intimate relationship with, my question to you is simply this. Do you just go to them every once in a while and whenever you have a need, one quick thing, you say, yo, give me that. Hey, I need this. Then why do we do that with God? 
forgetfulness. Like Israel in the Old Testament, we forget the past undeniable provision of God. Friends, one of the things that we need to remember is what God has done for us. One of the things that we need to recognize is what God continually does for us. And I'm not saying that we have to do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but it's so, so often in our lives we begin to rely on ourselves and we begin to become prayerlessness. And we begin to have forgetfulness of who God is and what he's done. Another one is anger and trial. Now, I'm not saying when you're going through a hard time that you have to be happy and jovial, but oftentimes what we do is when something comes upon us, we become angry at God. God, why are you doing this? Why have you not done this? Why is this happening? If you were there, this wouldn't happen, so you're not God. When difficulties force us to come face to face with our limits, we're no longer self-sufficient. We become angry. We feel anger at our exposed need. God, I need you every hour of the day. Lack of conviction of personal sin. I just, I want to ask you a question. When we sin, not if, but when, does it bother you? Not because you're not perfect, not because God might love you less. He loves you as much as he can. He will always love you. He doesn't love you any different. But does it bother you for this reason alone? That you're damaging your relationship, your intimate relationship with the one who's created and loves and sustains you. He still does. He doesn't look at you different. He doesn't say, okay, well, Trevor, because you sinned there. You know, I used to love you this much, but now I'm going to love you this much. But does it grieve your heart because you're saying, gosh, you know, when I did that, I'm damaging, I'm diluting, I'm dissolving the deep intimate connection that we have? And really, the drive of confession, the drive of repentance should not necessarily be solely for forgiveness, right? Should we continue in sin so that grace may increase? By no means. It should be because of the fact of God. Forgive me. And you know what God does? He says, forgiven and forgotten. My son, my daughter. I love you anyway. It's okay. The next one is avoidance of Christian community. Because we neither want nor believe we need help, we make a place in our lives for developing deep, authentic relationships with other believers. How are you in Christian community? 
Is there a desire to spend time with other believers? Now, I'm not saying we all have to be exactly the same and think the same things and do the same things. We've been created by God differently to demonstrate his creation and his blessing. But my question to you is this. Is there a desire to spend time in Christian community? Or when you're out somewhere and, and maybe you're at a restaurant or you're on a vacation or you're somewhere traveling and, and you look over and you see that there's another family that obviously has faith in Christ. Does that touch your heart and your soul? Is there a desire maybe to go over and just say hello and take five seconds just to say, hey, God bless you. The Lord keep you now and always. Or is it, I want to come to church, I want to do my thing, I want to spend my time, tick off my box, and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to hang out with my other friends, which, please do. The world desperately needs believers in non-believers' lives. But how are we in Christian community? The next one is concealment. Concealment. When we must interact with other believers, we conceal the true state of our lives to preserve our autonomy. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need you. How are you doing today? Fine. Right? Don't we love that song? Oh, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. But I'm not. Friends, there's nothing wrong. We're talking about our need, because I guarantee you, every single one of us in here has a need. Lack of accountability. Believing our own lie that we've got this. I got it. I got it figured out. I can do it. I don't need your help. I don't need anything there. We grow increasingly unwilling to ask for or receive wisdom or correction from another believer. I want to honestly ask you, if you're struggling with something, if you are having a hard time, if there's something in your life that's sinful, if there's something going on that's drawing you away from family, friends, pursuit of God, life, love, whatever it might be. Are you just sitting there saying, I've got this? Or are you willing to go to another brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, I'm struggling and I need your help. Will you pray for me? Will you encourage me? Will you hold me accountable? Lack of humility. Our growing self-reliance yields us increasingly unable to ask for or receive help from others even when our need is obvious. Have you ever looked out there and you just know that somebody has an obvious need? You can just tell that they have a need, but they're not willing to ask for it. Can we humble ourselves? And realize, again, we all have a need. And then the last one, exhaustion. Lovingly, I want to tell you is this. The world is exhausted. The world is exhausting. You try to be self-sufficient and do it on your own, you will become exhausted. Here's why. 
Because you have not been created to be self-sufficient. You have been created to have a deep need. And that deep need is for your soul and your spirit, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is the one and the only one that can fill that exhaustion. Refusing to ask for or accept help, we overextend our limited physical and emotional resources, existing in a constant state of anxiety and weakness. Friends, lovingly, what I want to tell you is this. If you're feeling exhausted, if you're just tired, if, if things are hard, get the help that you need. But don't just get the help that you need. Go to God and ask him to help you as well. Because he will bring life, he will bring light, he will bring sustenance to you. We've discovered that God is wholly self-sufficient. He's the God of infinite provision. There's nothing that God cannot provide because he's created and given all. This is not prosperity gospel. This is God of provision and protection of his people. Our take-home truth is simply this. If you don't remember anything else from this message, this is what I leave you with this morning. God is the only one who is self-sufficient. We are in desperate need of him. When we fully embrace this truth, our worship of him abounds. May we remember and reflect on the God who has no need, but gives all so that we might have eternal life.